0: Welcome back to The Mentors. This is your host, Sergey. Once again, Vadim is not here with me because we are serious now about following the social distancing rules. We're going to give it at least a couple of weeks where we're not going to be in the same studio. So maybe we'll alternate these intros and outros of our episode. But be sure that we are going to be bringing our twice-a-week episodes to you. If you got a chance to listen to the episode last week, then we're excited to have you back for part two of our two-part series with Daryl Silver of Thinkful. He started multiple companies, but this episode is going to be the one that focuses on exactly how he conceptualized of and started Thinkful from the ground up and ended up growing it into a major successful education company. Um, If you didn't listen to it, you can listen to this episode as a standalone episode, but We recommend you go back because we love origin stories, and Daryl did a great job of talking about why he got into tech, how he was able to use advisors to learn things that he was not an expert in, and how he learned how to be a master negotiator when it comes to selling a company, something that not a lot of people talk about. So that's in part one, but part two is all about Thinkful, and we're excited to bring you this episode today. Please enjoy this conversation
1: with Daryl Silver. I think we would definitely do a whole a separate episode of negotiation and specifically on the dynamics of uh, getting your company acquired, but I do want to make sure we have time for the story about thankful because you mentioned earlier that you like to challenge yourself and the next challenge for you after you, I guess, experience this positive event and maybe a little bit of comfort after that was you wanted that discomfort. Again, you decided, let me just switch gears entirely and go direct to, cons- to consumer. Uh, which was an industry, I guess, that you were less familiar with. But more than that, though, you were going into the space of education, which uh, building an education company is inherently much more difficult to pull off. So uh, I guess you do like to challenge yourself, so it makes sense, because clearly education has been for a long time ready for a disruption. But how did you make sure to set yourself up for early success early on with the next project?
2: Well, there are a couple of things. The first one by far is that I had the right partner. So, so with perpetually, it was me alone. and I learned an enormous amount, but I knew I wanted someone that I could uh, work really collaboratively with and wanted to, wanted to kind of be married to for a decade. Um, and, and by luck I found that with, with my co-founder Dan Friedman. Um, so for me, right at the beginning, right before the beginning, this is like sort of summer 2012. Um, the, the number one thing for me was definitely having the right partner. And so, by luck uh, and by, by work, but, but but frankly, by luck, I, I found that with, with Dan Friedman, my co-founder, and, and we knew we were gonna basically be married for about a decade. And you know here we are, year eight, it's coming up on that decade. So for me, more important than education and more important than the change we were gonna make in education was knowing that I had a person I could work with 70 hours a week or 90 hours a week uh, for, for a good portion of my professional career. Um, and, and so that was number one. Number two, uh, we just, believed and just saw that at that moment there was no way to learn the way that, that, that he and I had learned uh, throughout our lives. And and we saw at that moment that people thought videos were going to take over all of education and replace college and MOOCs. If you remember MOOCs are going to, yeah. are going to, are going to massively disrupt all of higher ed. And, and we thought like, that's just not how we learned. It can't be right. Um, the way we learned was mentorship and apprenticeship and internship and having advisors and asking stupid questions and being thrown in the deep end. How do we bring that, to everybody, how do we make that much more accessible? How do we make that cheaper? And, and so, the first ideas we had were all around um, each of those themes of one-on-one learning online. Uh, we we chose technical education because that's what that's what we could teach, and it was also what was what was becoming popular at that moment with MOOCs. And and that was off and running in 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 October, literally October first, two thousand
0: twelve. So let's talk about that. Uh, you you had the ideation process. It sounds like if I go off of what LinkedIn tells me, you only spent about ten months. Uh, in between concepts before you decided to dive back into to entrepreneurship. So what were some of those first steps that you took? you you had a set of ideas, you decided to go with technical skills and technical training. How did you go on then to validate that concept and and actually launch it by october?
2: yeah, and and, and let me be clear that the process that process you're describing, that sort of finding that initial traction or or germ of an idea can last easily a year or two years. Mm-hmm. In our case, we started on it in, um, ju- uh, sort of mid July 2012 and then we really didn't commit to we committed to it in October so it's a few months and then we got very very we had some skill but we got very very lucky that it was by uh, late February 2013 that we started to see real traction hmm. um, and so so that's a very fast turnaround that that's sort of nine months or so yeah um, uh, and it because because usually, like, I was assuming it was going to take us two years right now, two years of struggle to really figure out anything. But no, we got it done in a few months. And some of the key things we did, uh, which which are very easy to miss, but the, the, some of the key things we did are summarized with this one afternoon um, when when Dan and I were trying to figure out uh, kind of what to do next with this idea. We had this idea for online, we had this idea for one-on-one mentorship, we, we had friends that would mentor, we had talked to a couple of them. And we were sitting around trying to figure out exactly what to do and Dan said, well, we should offer a class we need to just offer a class. And so that was it. Like it just, if you're going to make a school, the thing a school does is offer a class, just offer a class. And we had a singular goal. We had a singular focus. We had, we said, okay, like Daryl, go find some students who, who people that we think should take this class get them to enroll. And, Dan, and then and Dan's job was, okay, build the curriculum, uh, and, and, be, you know, like write, write the curriculum. Um, uh, and, and start getting ready for a class that we're going to launch right before Thanksgiving. Um, and and we just picked the most important goal for getting the business to the next proof point or D or it's often called de-risking the biggest unknown or removing the biggest unknown at that moment. And we just went off and, and focused on that. And so along the way we learned, wow, there were really people that were trying to learn basic website building and wow, those people were kind of adults. They weren't straight out of college. They were, they were, in their first job, maybe they were trying to get up slightly, they were trying to upskill or maybe they were trying to change jobs. We didn't really know, but we knew, we started to get that feedback very quickly when we asked people to enroll and, and um, asking people to enroll was literally posting on Facebook for our friends. It was anything you could find to do to get people to enroll. We had no website. We had a website that had, sorry, we had a website. We had a single page website that had a ability to put your email address in, and we didn't know what to do on the other side of putting your email address in, but we figured we should have one of those. Um, and so, we said, so I remember thinking, how are we gonna get the, how are we gonna tell anybody what's in this program? We don't have a website, we don't have an app that they can log into and see anything. And so we said, okay, let's create a one page PDF, or I think I said, let's create a one page PDF of the curriculum, outline the curriculum, sort of obvious. And then Dan did that, and it didn't fill the page. It had a, It was a PDF that didn't fill a single page. It was very, out. it was because it didn't exist, right? We were trying to convince people that they could learn to code and learning to code. Um, you didn't have, you, people didn't know what they were learning, they were trusting us to know what to teach them. and so. We had to be very superficial, like roughly speaking, you have to be reasonably superficial about what you're going to teach when you give a syllabus. And so we couldn't think of anything to fill the page. Um, and so I said, okay, well like turn the page sideways and cut it in half, make it half a page just make it a smaller PDF. (laughs) (laughs) Just simplify it. Right. And, and, and and you're just trying to make it seem legitimate. Right. And that's the whole journey of creating a company is to make yourself seem legitimate at the next stage. So, so (laughs) just make it seem legitimate. So we just cut the PDF in half. Um, and then sent that out and then we had, you know, you worked with that. And, and, and we found people that wanted to learn those skills and we asked them for $300 a month, sorry, $250 a month, um, for the three months that we chose, it was going to take and like all these guesses, all these numbers, you just plug in a number, you can do all the market research you want, but just stick a number in there and just take a guess and you will find that you are right. Most of the time, or you are right a lot longer, right, a lot more often than you are wrong. And you were also faster by about infinity because you picked a number rather than dithered over whether it should be a 250 or a 550 or a 200 or a 199 or a 249. And those questions don't matter at that stage. You're just trying to figure out if anyone's going to enroll, and you listen to them for why they are or aren't, um, and go from there. So, so that was my job is to get people to enroll. And Dan's job was build a curriculum. Dan built, wrote curriculum in Google Docs. He was three weeks ahead of the start date, meaning we had curriculum for the first three weeks for our November start date, and then uh, kept writing as we kept delivering. Um, and that approach of just doing the simplest thing to get people to enroll via the obvious networks that the obvious places like asking our friends and, and posting around and, and listening to the networks we had talked to meetups we went to in New York, um, as well as using Google docs, that model, it resonated just enough to get us excited about keeping going and sort of to zoom out that approach, Google docs driven curriculum worked for us until half a million dollars in run rate. We were serving, we had served well over 500, I forget the number, but it would have been 500 or so students um, on Google docs. Uh, no app, no software, no engineers. Um, uh, we had started to build a bit of a CRM to, cause you know, uh, to, to understand why people were enrolling or not. But, but we were delivering the education with Google docs because we were just, it worked it worked until it stopped working and then we started replacing it. But it was just try to find the simplest path to the most important risks to remove in your business and, 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 and just work like hell to do that and change what you have to and don't get stuck on small decisions and um, just, just put in guesses and, and, and work from there.
0: I love that you guys found the fastest and simplest path to a product and just went out there and and built the first mini version of it and got customers for it. Can you talk a little bit about that, that early process? You mentioned you were posting on your social media, you were going to meetups and stuff and going through your internal networks. Were you asking people to apply? Like, do you remember how many people you got to apply at that point before you guys, uh, got your first batch of students?
2: The first class was seven people. Mm -hmm. Um, that November class was seven people. Uh, it didn't really take off. We had seven, we had nine, we had six. Uh, and then it was in, it wasn't until the end of February that we had any real traction, any, any growth, but we had those initial students that were kept coming in, which was a pretty good sign. Mm -hmm. Uh, We must've done, or I must've done, I mean, it was kind of all the things, right? You, you, you can, you can talk about what you're doing with everyone, you know, you can, you can, you can everyone that was sort of interested, I ended up having a phone call with, or Dan ended up having a phone call with. Um, We had, probably 75 people put their email address in the website, which is sort of random. I tried ads that went nowhere. It was a complete hmm. waste of time and money, but you know, whatever. Um, uh, we had, we had a slowdown because of hurricane Sandy at oh, that yeah. moment. Um, we had we had uh, an intern that was really excited and great. And he worked with us for a couple of years who was, who was doing, a, who started doing some of that stuff as well. Um, but it was just, it was just kind of everything. It's just this hustle of it. Uh, um, it doesn't really matter. None of, the, none of the other stuff really matters. You just, you just get the, that half page PDF. <laughs> Remember, couldn't fill out a full page of what this product was that we wanted people to spend like $250 a month times three months on. Hmm. Like $750 is a big purchase. We couldn't fill out a single page PDF, but we knew that if we could get it in front of people and get their reaction, their real reaction to whether they would enroll, not what do you think of this in theory, but would you actually, like, are you ready to take this class right now? Um, we knew we would learn that people were interested, or we knew we would learn that people weren't interested and those those big big lessons are the things you're looking for in those early days you're not looking for the nuance of a million little details you're just looking for the big blunt yes or no from a customer yeah. um, and so it was I, I don't you know, I don't know with seven students we must have had two hundred email addresses we must have had um five hundred conversations something like that yeah.
0: And it sounds like you pretty quickly started to notice that the people that were interested in acquiring these skills were adults, uh, people that maybe were trying to change careers or upskill. Uh, so, how did you then go from because with the Google Docs curriculum and process to go from from zero to half a million in, in run rate revenue? Run rate is uh, is substantial. What kind of processes or repeatable processes did you then start to? to do that you know that actually worked so you you tried a bunch of experiments ads didn't work direct outreach did what did you then repeat to double down and get more and more students to grow up to that half a million dollar run rate
2: yeah there there were two big events and um uh they're illustrative of a couple of good tricks that, that startups do in those early days one is we were um very fast to respond to a to a market event so so At that moment in New York, we believe, and this was my history, I went from finance to tech. We believed that there was a um, migration from finance to tech that should happen and that was going to happen. We already kind of had that opinion, that after 2008, there was going to be a big exodus, voluntary or not, from finance, uh, and then people were going to move into other fields, and technology was sort of the tech sector startups was obviously going to be one of them. And so we had that coming in, and then one day I noticed that there was a uh, layoff of, of of, uh, I think, 4,000 workers at City, Citigroup, Citibank. Wow. Um, and uh, we put up a web page very quickly that said, if you've been laid off from City, we will give you this course for free. And um, it, you know, we had a blue background that matched the city logo and and um, and we just put up this webpage and then posted it to Hacker News, which at that time was a little easier to to to, to navigate or to game. Frankly. Um, and uh it got it it made it to the top of Hacker News for several hours. It got a lot of traffic. And then TechCrunch, which at that time was was pretty central, was more central to the tech ecosystem than it is today. The was still pretty central pretty central, but but it really dominated the discussion for for tech. Um someone from TechCrunch reached out and was like, What's going on with this? And where are you getting it and how many people have applied? And then um wrote a story about it the next day. And if you looked at our Google Analytics traffic, it was I don't know, forty people a day. And then this hacker news thing made it to like like two thousand for two days. And then this check tech crunch thing made it to five thousand for another day. And so there's this is big blip, blip blip blip. And that generated a lot of interest relative to our scale. And it showed us that we had something real to work on because it resonated with people, not from a product point of view, but resonated with people on a on a sort of personal level. They were like, Yeah, like there is an exodus for finance. And yeah, there should be a, a way to make that transition easier. And um, and, and that, that, resonated at a deep level, which is very, very central to product market fit. It's not just about that. The purchase is key and that's where the economics are, but, but you want to know that you're, you know, especially in a direct consumer product, you want to know that you're onto something that, that resonates with a person's, uh, morals and ethics and what they think should be in the world. Uh, and that's what makes a word of mouth really drive. Uh, and so, so, so that really hit that, but it was just a spike, but it was really, really important. Um, cause it really told us that we were onto something big. Um, that's the first event. The second event was when we announced our what is now called a pre-seed round, um, and we were able to announce that we had a, a fancy investor, and it and and it and it did something very else that's important in the mark in in building a consumer product, which especially in education, which is trust. We were able to establish that we were a real business that someone with clout had um, believed in enough to put their money on the line for, and we were able to set ourselves apart from the kind of just a little bit from the noise of a lot of folks that were just, you know, two people in a room trying to, trying to sell something. Um, and that, that stamp of trust in education, especially is very key. Um, and it really set us up. So, so those two events set us up for what turned out to be the sort of real harm, hallmark of product market fit. And I honestly, I hate, Describing this story in detail, so I'll give the overview because it's, it's sort of when you see it, it's easy. But before you see it, it's really very frustrating to hear people talk about it. Mm. But we saw very organic growth for about 14 months, uh, yeah. 26% month over month growth for 14 months, starting from a zero baseline. But that that compounds very quickly, right. um, and it was that 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 true sign of product market fit. This this concept of flying off the shelves. Mm. Um, but but honestly, that's a lagging indicator of all the work we had done in the prior 10 months. And product market fit is like easy to spot once it's out there and it's like, a, it's just a lagging indicator of the work you've already put in. So, yeah. but that's that's what we really had something that became a real company. And that's what drove to that 500,000 in, in run rate.
0: Yeah, no, that's a that's a great story. And, you know, I think I've seen some VC write about write about this as like a startup zeitgeist uh, uh, crossover or fit. I don't know exactly how it was phrased, but uh, the zeitgeist of the moment and what you're offering actually fitting that moment. I remember 2012, 2013 pretty well. And you could feel that, people, there was going to be an exodus from finance and it sounds like you guys uh, saw that and timed it pretty well.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for the credit. I mean, we, we, we saw that for sure. We were the right place at the right time. And we had validation when we saw the resonate, when we saw things resonate with the city promotion. And then we had the stamp of approval or something that something that just helped us establish trust, uh, in a market that requires trust in a product that requires trust. Um, yeah. but that's right. And it, it's, it's, Keep in mind, that moment, the people that were enrolling are those that were most impacted, those that were graduating in 2008. So our students are 30, still remain about 30 years old. Yeah. That student body is a, largely those that graduated college and not largely anymore, but 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 at that time, graduated college in 2008 into one of the worst economies. We're about to go into a very uncertain period. Um, and the reason that people in startups get, get kind of, the most creative among us get kind of peaked in our interest is that is that inside of that kind of churn in the economy is the next generation of new ideas and new technologies and new adoption. So obviously, working from home is huge. Obviously, um, the disruption and change in retail is huge. Obviously, the economic hardships are going to be massive and the government takeovers of the economy are going to be massive. But over the next couple years um, is is this the sort of Seeds of the future in a way that's that's hard to see right now, and is not in anyone's top of mind. It shouldn't be, and we should all be working with our families. And but is really something that important that happens. And so, it's not a coincidence that thinkful success followed two thousand eight, and it's not a coincidence that MOOCs followed two thousand eight as well. And these things are all very connected. Absolutely,
0: no, you're absolutely right. And I can tell you from personal experience. I you know I work with uh, dozens of entrepreneurs at the Entrepreneurial Institute at NYU, and there's only a few really you can count on one hand that are discouraged by this. Most people, they're seeing the opportunity and the ability to offer Consumers and businesses real value in this difficult time, and I think some companies will come out on top. So you're absolutely right. Uh, You know, I think to to wrap up this interview in the last couple of minutes, I do want to make sure we talk about this one thing, which is if you want to learn listening, if you're listening to the show, you want to learn more about uh, Daryl's and Thinkful's philosophy on education, you can go on Thinkful.com. You can go on Daryl Silver's website, DarylSilver.com, is it with two R's, two L's, but it's your blog, and he talks a lot about his philosophy, but. One of the things that you read a lot about uh, your philosophy on education, the future of higher ed, but one of the things that you write about is the importance of of keeping education both affordable and accessible to students. Most coding schools were not able to do that successfully. Prices keep kept rising over the years, right? As the coding bootcamp model kind of peaked in the in the mid two thousand tens, twenty tens. But can you talk a little bit about you know how you were able to do that at thankful how you're able to maintain the quality and accessibility but also keep it affordable uh how is that possible how do you think others can do it
2: yeah i mean we, we should break that into two real quick i mean thankful as an online provider of uh effectively infinite scale for for an outcomes-based program that that is the core competency we built for for seven years um now our prices did go up steadily every almost every year, and and the market tolerates a lot higher price. But with Chegg, and this is this was, we we spoke a lot about having the right personality and the right 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 opinions about what the future should be with your with your future acquirer with your partners. With Chegg, we really really came to believe in twenty nine throughout twenty nineteen that there needs to be a force to lower prices, but still maintain outcomes based education. Meaning you you can you can offer. Inexpensive education products, and a lot of people do, and they they have a much lower expectation. This customer and the product offer and give a much lower expectation of uh, outcome, a sort of salary change or or career change. But we just believed, as does Chegg, that 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 the prices for outcomes-driven education, meaning a very new career and a massive increase in salary, our, our grads are seeing a twenty thousand dollars salary uh, increase from the jobs that we're helping them get in their first job. And then over the two years after we get them their first job, they're seeing another $20,000 increase. A lot of schools believe that that increase should kind of go back to the school, that the student should pay $20,000, $30,000 for that education. Mm -hmm. Now, we just think that that excludes a lot of people. You can make fancy financials to to make it seem like you're not taking out debt. But fundamentally, we just think those prices, if they come down, they're going to be able to serve more students. uh, And that'll be a Bigger impact on the market, bigger impact on the world, bigger impact on the future of wealth and equality, frankly. And so so one of our big opinions going into the Chegg acquisition was if we lower prices, we'll be able to serve more people and still maintain the outcomes we have. We picked a partner in Chegg that has the technology and experience to allow lower cost of delivery to make that possible We and still maintain profitability and sustainability. Uh, we picked a partner in Chegg that was able to look over a five-year horizon for, for what's possible in the market and what should be in the market. And then we picked a rare partner and they picked a rare, a rare company that said like, yeah, prices are too high. It feels like it'll serve our bottom line to raise that tuition another $10,000 or another $5,000, another $500. But, but actually that's short-term thinking. You're excluding people who are still going through the same career transitions as everybody else and who still have aspirations, but don't have the, don't, can't afford uh, that kind of education. And, uh, and, and we, just, we just think there's a much bigger opportunity and need to to lower prices for outcomes-based education. Um, so, So we became quite passionate about that through 2019. Our prices had been going up, and that's what drove us to say, gee, is that really gonna help us reach more people if we raise prices? And the obvious answer is no. Sometimes the biggest answers in business are the really, really obvious ones. If we keep raising prices, we're not gonna serve more people. We're gonna serve fewer people. That's the wrong direction. That's not why we started this business. Um, and so we think this next trend in in skills-based education and adult learning is to be very rigorous and transparent about the outcomes while also lowering prices. Uh, and that's really what we're committed to with Chegg and what JEG's committed to with Thinkful.
1: Hmm. Well, glad you were able to do that. You know, set a goal and, and think about the impact and value first and how you could actually Kind of move in the in the trend that makes it more accessible to people, and, and of course, it sounds like you did that with the partner that you chose. So it's great that you did that because we we feel that if more organizations like your own take that as the north star, they're going to make better decisions ultimately for the students, and it's going to force the rest of the market, and of course, a big part of the market is higher ed to follow suit and figure out how to innovate and adapt and adjust to make sure that the student's value is placed first and not the bottom line. So it's I'm, we're really glad that you were able to accomplish that with Chegg and we're excited to follow um, your journey. So uh, Daryl Silver, thank you so much for joining us on the show, you gave a, a ton of insight I think for the early stage entrepreneurs that are listening but also the people who every single person that's thinking about their education, thinking about how they can improve their skills clearly the best way to do that is through experience and if you're able to be resourceful to find people that can help guide you through that experience but then obviously there's other um, incredible programs out there some of which are taken uh, the lead by uh, folks like daryl and, and thankful that can also help you along the way daryl silver thank you so much for joining us on the show and we're looking forward to continuing to follow Thinkful and checks progress in education thank you very much thanks for the
0: opportunity
1: Awesome, that was great. Thanks,
0: Daryl. Yeah, I feel like we could go for for even a couple more hours. If we were Joe Rogan, maybe we'd be able to keep you on.